Welcome to Job Sharing and Beyond, the future of work podcast that goes beyond the traditional nine to five. I am Karen Tischler, speaker, consultant, and host of the show, where we hear from global experts every other week to discover innovative solutions and tips on how to remain a relevant employer in the future. I am very happy to have Rob Sturrock as my guest today. Rob is a working father of two small children, an advocate for gender equality, healthy masculinity, and author of his new book, Man Raises Boy, a revolutionary approach for fathers who want to raise confident and happy sons. He lives on the beaches in Sydney with his wife, son, and daughter. Thank you so much for coming onto the show today, Rob. Absolute pleasure. I'm glad I could be here. There are so many people listening in from all over the world to get an idea where you are calling in from today and if there is any site or food that you could recommend. Sure. So I'm calling in from Sydney in Australia. So, I mean, Sydney's a very big city. So I live in an area of Sydney uh, north of the Harbour Bridge, which everyone knows pretty well, in an area called the Northern Beaches. So I live near this incredible strip of about 10 magnificent beaches that go up the peninsula. Uh, I'm about a five-minute drive to sort of three of the best beaches in Sydney. So we're in a very fortunate position. Uh, it's a place I take the kids often during summer to have a splash around. Um, it's very amazing. Uh, as far as the food, look, I sh you know, the typical Australian answer is to say prawns or seafood, but I should be a little bit cheeky and say that I'm actually near a cafe that does amazing bagels, which is a very North American thing. Uh, bagels is not a good, not an easy thing to get in Sydney. Normally, it's just very doughy round bread. But there's a place that's only about ten minutes up the road from me that actually does proper American style bagels, and I love them. So that's sort of my go-to local cuisine, even though it's not really local. <laughs> Sounds very tasty and, and a very beautiful scenery. I've never been to Australia, but that sounds like definitely something I would love to visit one day. It is a gorgeous place, yeah. yeah. So um, I'm very appreciative that you have written your book, Man Races Boy, which was published very recently. So could you tell our listeners what made you decide to write your book? Sure. So it really came from um, a dearth of literature that was available that spoke to dad. So I've got two children. Uh, my daughter's just over four and my little boy's about 20 months. Uh, and I was someone that never really considered having kids. I, you know, I never really had small children in my life. I never babysat. So as I was approaching fatherhood, you do what you know a lot of parents do. You look around for literature um, and writing that speaks to you and can help you sort of feel better and more comfortable about the new world you're about to um, enter into. And there just really isn't a lot for dads. Um, there certainly isn't a lot for dads in Australia. Globally, you know, in the Western world, it's, it's a similar trend as well. So uh, as I sort of settled into new fatherhood, I started writing short pieces myself, just very much not from a place of expertise, just sharing experiences of the trials and tribulations of being a new dad and what life was like. And uh, particularly from the bent of, trying to be a very active dad. So I didn't just want to be the absent father that was working all the time and not home doing the caring. So my writing was really around how do fathers be more involved in caring for their kids? Uh, and it evolved into this book. So 
you know, the book is really trying to share experiences with other men and other dads about what it's like to be active and involved in being a father uh, with young children in particular, how you try and juggle the career the way working mums have done for decades. Uh, and then also um, trying to get dads to see just how important they are in raising young boys to be good men. So, you know, Australia is a very blokey, very masculine country still that comes with a lot of uh, vices as well. Um, and the, the last part of the book is really trying to help dads think through the way they can be a very good father and helping to raise their boys to have a set of values that makes them a really respectful, healthy man um, when they're into adulthood. This is like, it's it's been a very fascinating book to read. And one of the um, quotes that I really love is, fathers can do absolutely everything a mom can do except breastfeed. I just thought that was one of the best quotes because I think that's just so true. Yeah, look, and it's funny, like it, it feels strange in a way that in 2020, it has to be written and said as if it's a profound thought. Um, but it kind of still is to a lot of people. And I think, you know, what I've experienced in Australia and, and in the writing of the book too, is there's a lot of very embedded um, cultural myths around what mums and dads can and can't do. And a really big one here still is that dads aren't innately good at caring. And if they are going to be carers, they're not going to be as good as mums and they're going to be sort of well-meaning but bumbling and, you know, just not up to scratch. Um, and coupled with that is that, you know, mums have some, you know, natural ability to be a parent. And so what I was trying to do in, that, in, the, in the book is really to unpack that and say they're myths, that there's no science that backs that up, there's no biology that backs that up really. So and to try and give dads a sense of confidence and encouragement um, that they can be amazing carers. Because I think what we've seen in Australia a lot too um, in the workplace is dads who might like to do caring and would like to try that, but they feel reluctant. And part of that reluctance can be, I'm just not sure if I'm going to be any good at it. And, you know, I should leave it to my wife or leave it to my grandparents. Um, so part of that, the book is to try and unpack and say, there is nothing you can't do. And that being a parent, like almost any job, like being a parent is on the job training. It's just a set of skills that you build together um, and you do it by trial and error, by just doing all the hard things of parenting and through the doing, um, that's where the skills come from. There's nothing natural about it. And as I said, look, I had no experience with kids whatsoever. I had zero knowledge. Uh, and for me, it was really just about rolling up my sleeves literally and just doing all the things around parenting. Um, and I'm the better for it. If you or um, a mom wanted to try and go back after a long period of time, um, and is um, explaining to a potential employer what type of skills she has or he has learned, what would you say top five skills from the unpaid caring? And look, it's a great question. And it's an issue that in Australia too, we don't talk um, enough about. So for me, you know, the to start with, I think the skills that a parent brings back are all kind of the hallmarks of good modern leadership. You know, the emotional intelligence, active listening, good communication skills, good problem solving skills, um, empathy. So there to me is some of the things you bring back. You also are probably able to think on your feet more quickly. I think you're more ruthless and more efficient with your time. I mean, the amount of things that one parent can do in a day um, is incredible. And I, I learned that too. Like the, your, your concept of time and how you use time and how you multitask um, goes up exponentially as a parent. So 
Look, I took parental leave um, twice. So I took three months for each of my kids to be the, you know, quote unquote, primary carer, mm -hmm. as much as I sort of hate that label, primary carer. Um, and I, I thought the same as everyone else. I thought, oh, well, I'll be out of the workforce for three months. I'll sort of get a bit rusty and then I'll have to be trying to get back into work mode when I go back. And it was only when I put, went back to the office and put my feet on the desk, I realized I brought back all these other skills as well um, to serve me really well to this day. Um, and I work four days a week part time. So the ability to multitask or to be super organized, um, to prioritize things and to be efficient with time, that's just so critical in the in the week so that's something i think i think we've been better in australia about mums seeing this the skills they take back but we still as far as dads goes dads still see leave or taking leave to care for children as kind of career suicide um the show that they're not serious about their career and they're kind of taking the foot off the pedal um where we can talk more about those sort of skills like no no it's not only do you get wonderful time with your children and you get to support um, your family at home you'll actually bring back all these great things that will really help you. And it really, all those skills go across almost every profession. Like every profession needs them in some way or another at some point in time. So I think that's a part of the conversation that's still lacking is that you're actually gonna be more skilled when you come back. Thank you so much. I so agree with this and it is very good to, you know, hear from your experience. And now you were saying that you are currently working four days a week. So what is like flexible work arrangements like this in Australia? Like, is that very common or how, how did that work out? Yeah. So, I mean, it started with me um, before we had our daughter. So she was born in 2016 and my wife and I, even before that, have tried to run a very equal household, you know, just equal in terms of running the household. We respect one another's careers equally. So we had a discussion before our daughter was born about what's the best way to set up our family so we can sort of, again, be equal and run an equal household. And so we actively started thinking about, well, how can I um, work part-time as well? But it's funny, I mean, the, the, I, we started the way almost every couple does is we just defaulted to, well, I'll work full-time and my wife will work three days. And then we sort of looked at each other after a while and said, well, why is that the case? Why do we need to do that? There's no compulsion. Like you're, you're just as important in your career. So why would you work less? And so that made us really unpack some of those assumptions that were already built in. Um, so I sort of went back to work after um, my parental leave, my extended parental leave, very, with a very clear intent of working part-time. As far as in Australia, there's about half a million mums who work part-time. There's next to no dads. So about 5% of fathers work part-time. So it's, it's minuscule. Um, and I think it sort of goes back to what we are talking about a bit earlier. I think a lot of dads don't see themselves as carers. And even if they are going to see themselves as carers, very few even think about how they could readjust their work life um, to have more family time or to be sort of more active at home. So there really is not a lot of dads that work part-time. You, you'll hear anecdotal evidence of where there's pockets, but it's, it's just super rare still. Um, and we have in Australia about 80,000 stay-at-home dads, um, which is, you know, again, of a, we've got about five and a half million dads in Australia of all ages and types. So 80,000 stay-at-home is right. really, statistically, that's significant. Um, so, yes, yeah, so part-time is really, is really rare. And I would say also to, like, the focus of your podcast, job sharing, too, uh, with by men, I think, is, again, it's not even in on their in their mind they're not even in their thinking that's something else we should be talking about that's yeah that's a 
I was very surprised when I did my research on job sharing that in Europe, in Germany, Switzerland, England in particular, that there is a lot of job sharing and that, for example, at SAP, there are definitely also on the management level, um, a either men, woman um, job sharing team or two men, actually. So, yeah, that's I feel there is definitely, you know, some best practice examples that I've learned about and I hope that that can spread um, across different countries. Now, you were saying that there isn't so much um, part-time work and then you mentioned in the book that um, the Diversity Council of Australia found that 37% of young fathers had seriously considered leaving an organization because of that lack of flexibility. Now, with COVID and more people being able to um, work from home, do you feel or have you seen has the situation changed? Uh, organization becoming more flexible about, you know, continuing with the work from home or what's the situation? Yeah, no, I think we have seen a real increase in flexibility, like a lot of places, you know, around the world. Um, I think a lot more men have been working from home. Um, a lot more bosses are becoming more flexible and understanding about working from home and flexible hours. So um, there's strong evidence that's emerged in some of the initial research that come out of the last few months that lots more workers, uh, men and women, are working from home, working flexibly. And beyond that, that a lot of them want to keep that some level of flexibility and some level of working from home when the new normal, whatever that looks like, starts to come into shape. Um, the challenge with that, I think, is there's also a bunch of workplaces and industries that are kind of already defaulting to going back to how it was like right. what's the quickest way we can get everyone back in the office and maintain their safety and, and health as well so again there's some people and I, you know it's it's fair enough if people are only used to working in an office it makes sense that they kind of default to well how do we get everyone back to the office um we're seeing some employers are leading the charge and saying we realize this is a sort of a circuit breaker of how we can do things differently uh, and even some industries and some workplaces are seeing that they can you know, reduce their office space and reduce their rent, reduce their overheads and stuff like mm -hmm. that, uh, as well as give employees the, the flexibility they want. Uh, but yeah, others, I think are just like, well, how do we get back to the way things were? So some employers are leading the charge, but in other um, industries, it's going to be employees just sticking up for themselves and saying, you know what, I actually want to keep this level of flexibility. It's been really good for my life. Uh, and I want to try and work it into the job. And I look, I've personally just had that conversation at work this week. Um, We've got a very um, graduated program for how people return back to the office mm -hmm. and they've been mm -hmm. checking in with everyone to say their level of comfort. And I was quite honest. I said, well, you know, you know, there was the initial stress and anxiety over, uh, over the, the health pandemic in Australia. But then when people got settled and things became um, more regular and in the routine, it actually our quality of life as a family went up. You know, there wasn't a commute at the beginning of the end of the day. We weren't right. rushing to daycare and then to home to quickly feed kids before putting them to bed. You know, we, we bought back some hours in the day and bought some flexibility in the way we worked. It actually just allowed us to, to breathe a bit more slowly <laughs> throughout the, the week. So we're very much of the, my wife and I are both of the, of the mindset of how can we keep some of this flexibility going forward? Cause it's good for all of us. Like we absolutely, um, um, understand that there has to be some office time to be sure, but it doesn't all need to be in the office anymore. Yeah. And it's, it's always interesting, you know, as I'm here in Canada and basically sort of watching different countries who are maybe 
a little bit ahead already on the curve of like reopening how it is happening and how much of it is something that's going to stay and how much people are trying to go back to the old way. So it's very interesting to hear. Now, um, as we have also um, business leaders listening to our call, from your experience, in order to get to more gender equality in their business, so what would you say? Because often, like, you know, there might be um, like um, a mom group or something focused in particular on mothers, but that could also make fathers feel more excluded. So could you sort of tell me a little bit more about that? What could business leaders do to, you know, get more to gender equality by including um, dads or uh, men as well? Sure. No, I think it's a great question. I mean, there's some research I put in the book too from, uh, I think it's the Diversity Council of Australia again, where they talk about how there's a good, there's a big chunk of men just under sort of 50% that do feel excluded by gender equality strategies at work. They feel it doesn't speak to them. And I think fathers, you know, are, are a prime example of that. I think uh, for me, it's how can you encourage the, the dads at work who might have long hours or long you know, absences from home, how do you really sit, design a set of programs that are gender neutral, that appeal and attract them as well as working mums? Uh, the big one for me is paid parental leave. Now, Australia really lags seriously behind um, in the paid parental leave stakes. Uh, we're about second last in the OECD in terms of government paid parental leave. We're only ahead of America. America essentially doesn't have paid parental leave by the government, so not 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 great. Uh, it's very employer-led here still. Um, and that's what look, that's how it's going to be probably for the for the foreseeable future. So for employers out there, I think having a generous, um, supportive paid parental leave package where it is gender neutral, uh, mm -hmm. where dads as well as mums can access it, where they can take it flexibly. Um, and where you remove arbitrary distinctions between primary or secondary carers or mums and dads is a fantastic mm -hmm. starting point. Because um, getting back to what we were talking about a bit earlier, you know, there can still be a reluctance for dads to speak up, to want to take leave right. for, for fear about their career or fear they're not going to be good carers. If, they're, if there are supportive systems at place in a workplace, it'll really help bring men out of the woodwork. And we've seen that in a few companies in Australia where they had very low rates of men taking paper and a leave. But when they changed the policy and made it gender neutral and made it clear that they were speaking to dads and mums and there's no mm -hmm. discrimination or no penalty if a dad takes it, um, they saw significant jump ups. There's a private health insurance company here called Medibank Private. Um, and they're, they're an example I use a lot because they had about 2 or 3% of men taking paid parental leave. They completely overhauled their paid parental leave programs and made them gender neutral, much more generous. You could take it flexibly over several years. They did, they did the whole lot. And suddenly mm -hmm. their um, rates of take up by men jumped from about two or 3% to 21% in 12 months. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. And it's still going up. So that's, that's, it's, it's a great um, proof point that if you, you design those policies in, the, in a gender neutral way, you're going to attract men and that'll allow men to feel they're supported at work and allow them to have time at home without the stress that they're somehow damaging their career or they're missing out at the workplace. I think that's a big one. In Australia too, we still see a lot of arbitrary um, detail within these policies that don't make a lot of sense anymore. For instance, uh, a policy may say that a dad must take parental leave within the first 12 months of their child's life. 
Well, hmm. why? Why just right. 12 months? Why not the first two years, three years, five years? Like, why just 12 months? Um, there's often written into policies that the mum and the dad cannot be on leave at the same time. So why? Again, why does one have to be working one at home? If, if they both have supportive employers and they are both offering parental leave packages, why do you have to have that arbitrary distinction? Like, and some of those things you can remove quite easily. And there's no budget impact to the company or the employer if you just say, you can take it over three years instead of 12 months or yes, your wife can be home with you or your partner can be home with you as well as you. Nothing changes at the workplace. It's just you giving families a bit more flexibility and freedom of how they use that caring time. Um, and so I think that's a really big one. I think also to your point about sort of mums and dads groups. Yeah. Actually having uh, a place, a safe place where dads can share stories and, and experiences and that, that sort of peer to peer support, I think is a huge one. Uh, I even see that at work too. Um, you know, I, I sort of have this sort of informal sort of dad's club when we meet, you know, when we can, and we just talk about our experiences. And we also share our experiences of trying to access the leave policies at work. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes they're very manage, manager driven. Some people have much more supportive experiences than others. So, but to be able to show dads that they're not alone, that there are lots of dads out there that would like to take leave, that are trying to do that same juggle of being involved at home and being a productive worker, I think that'll help dads feel like, okay, I'm actually not in this alone. Like there is this support right. out there. It's not just speaking to the mums in the organisation, speaking to me too. Um, and I think that's a really positive thing. So that's that for me is the, the next step forward I'd like to see um, uh, workplaces take. Okay, thank you. Um, now, one thing, uh, like in your book, you talk about, and we've sort of touched a bit on it already, like the future skills. It's You mentioned um, the Inspiring the Future UK campaign in your book. Could you tell our listeners a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. And this is a great campaign that, that was run in the UK and it gets to um, this issue of the of the gender bias that we build in mm -hmm. the careers industry. So basically this was a um, an initiative they ran, which is they would um, go into school groups, um, small kids, so primary school age children in the UK and talk to them about different careers, you know, being a nurse, being a firefighter, being a policeman, being in the Air Force and just get the kids to give their general impressions of what those careers look like and they would get them to draw them. So what does a firefighter look like? What does an Air Force pilot look like? What does a doctor look like? And in these classes, when they would do it, there was this huge trend that all the kids would tend to draw men for firefighter, Air Force pilot and doctor. And if it was things like nurses and the like, they would draw women. Um, and so again, these are kids that are not even 10 and it's just all kind of ingrained in them that this is what, like, if you're a man, these are the careers for you. And if you're a woman, you go to these other sort of careers as well. And then they would bring in, um, in some situations, they would bring in the people from those actual professions um, mm -hmm. and they would surprise the kids by showing that they were all women. So they had a female Air Force fighter, they have a female firefighter, they have a female police officer, um, a female doctor. And you can see sort of the, the surprise on the kids. Right. Wonderful videos on, on YouTube and you see them sort of the penny drop and think, oh, okay. So women can do all these things. And I put it in the, in the book um, predominantly because it's something that I would love to show my daughter when she's the right age. Um, mm -hmm. She's only four, but she is all already starting to just say some of those little gender normative statements about what boys and girls can and can't do. Um, so look, it was a great, it's a great practical exercise. And, you know, it's one of those things where instead of bombarding kids with a bunch of research information, you just do a sort of simple demonstration 
uh, with the, that they can, and they absorb it visually when they see the, the, the female professionals walk in the room and it will just sit with them and it will remain with them like, as they go forward and think about the different careers they want to do and the different things they want to study. Uh, hopefully those, some of those gender barriers will be broken down. I think it's a fantastic thing. I'd love to see us do it in Australia too. It's, we could desperately use that sort of initiative too. Right. And then, you know, as we were talking about before that um, dads can basically do everything except breastfeeding, maybe we should also have then the opposite, have maybe more professions where um, it's more female dominated and then all of a sudden like do the same exercise and then have maybe some men who might be a nurse or you know absolutely to get the whole perspective and show boys that caring is perfectly something that is a possible you know career path for them as well yeah, yeah absolutely no that would be a great um, way to flip it around and, and do that um, and in Australia too, that would that would be things like nursing or even, you know, ballet is an example that I, I mentioned right. in the book where, you know, that has absolutely laboured under uh, a misperception in Australia of being a kind of wimpy, girly thing to do if you're a bloke. <laughs> but as yeah. the, the research shows, you know, there's some of the, the most um, sort of, they're some of the fittest, healthiest athletes on the planet. They perform seven right. times a week. Their, right. their cardio and their strength and their tone is, is sometimes stronger than most other professional sports. So why do we have this, <laughs> this perception that it's come, somehow not a real sport or it's not a, not a real profession? So though, even those sort of small examples, I think, would go a long way to breaking some of these gender norms we still have. Yeah, and it's like last week I was attending um, an online seminar it was for um, women in male dominated industries. And so I'm, I honestly don't know if the opposite of an organization exists as well. And I think that would be if it, you know, if it doesn't, that might be another thing to just kind of, you know, get people to, you know, switch more and, and see that regardless of gender, any type of job is really available for them. So I, I have to say, Rob, I could be talking with you forever. And, That's a fascinating um, area. <laughs> yeah. and, but I know, you know, we have a limited uh, um, amount of time. So I just wanted to make sure that we've, you know, is there anything we haven't talked about that you would still like to cover to make sure that our listeners can, um, you know, know about? I, yeah, I think as far as other things to talk about, I think job sharing is a is an important one because it's mm -hmm. just not really um, mainstreamed or front of mind in Australia still. I think we still default to full time work, particularly for for men. You know, in, in Australia, I think not about ninety two percent of fathers are working, and ninety percent of them work full time. As wow. I've said before, five percent, about five percent, work part time. I think job sharing would be similarly low figure if, you know, be almost non-existent in Australia. So it's something we should be thinking about um, and trying to embed in the way we, we do work now, particularly as coming out of COVID, you know, in Australia, like a lot of places around the world, the employment situation is looking pretty dire and pretty fluid. Uh, and people are going to want to be able to, to think about creatively around how you sort of um, set up your workforce for the for whatever the new normal is and job sharing should be a big one it tends to still be uh, working mums in sort of female friendly or female dominated industries that would job share um, and a lot of companies I just don't think have it as part of their strategy they don't they sort of still trying to hire one person for the role um, I guess they don't think about how that role could be set up 
to accommodate more than one person so that you sort of get the skill sets you need and the work obviously gets done, but you're actually being a bit more flexible for people's different um, sort of family lives as well. Um, and look, I never thought of it either, you know, and even when I was trying to be really creative and really involved at home and think about a way to set up my career so it was family friendly, um, I got to part-time work, which is good. I guess not, not mm -hmm. a lot of men did, but I never considered job sharing or even looking at job sharing arrangements if they were on offer, and I should have. And it's something I should be thinking about, you know, going forward for the next however many decades I'm working is where that's going to be useful. Um, particularly, you know, I'm going to be going to a stage of life too where the kids will be in, at school and you're going to have those right. funny school hours where they need to be picked up at 2.30 and all the like. So something like a job sharing um, would be great. And I think for a lot of working parents too, that to have that the feeling that you're not actually just dropping the ball, so to speak, with work, that's just not sitting there piling up, that someone is there, you know, pushing it forward and you're sort of stewards of the work together, that you've got that extra support. I think for the mental health and the mental load for parents, it would be an enormously beneficial thing. Yeah, it's I've interviewed several people who have done job sharing for a long time. And for example, Maggie Pickett did job sharing in England for 23 years with the wow. same partner and it, across seven different jobs and they got promoted twice. And what was um, very interesting, just as you said, it, they tried the hardest never during the time that the other person was working to contact them. So it really was, um, you know, like out of sight, out of mind, because they felt they had full trust in the other person that they could be enjoying, whether that was family life or whatever they were doing while the partner was at work. And um, also what I had never thought about is the energy level that comes by job sharing, because basically in their case, it was Monday to Wednesday, the one person Wednesday to Friday, the other, that the second person comes on Wednesday, fully of you know, fresh off energy and ready to go. And obviously, if you have two partners, you want to sort of show to their partner what you have done in the time while the other one wasn't there. And yes. so um, they said, she told me twice what happened when they moved to a new position. They were actually replaced by two people, two full time people, because right. they yeah, because they had so much energy. And, you know, they did, uh, you know, like their productivity was really high. And the other thing she was talking about was like having an, like a sparing partner, right? Where you can then sort of discuss, um, um, you know, problems or new ideas. And so, yeah, so I thought it was very fascinating. And I really hope that that is, you know, some model that spreads much more around the world because in Switzerland, it is um, very active and um, in England and in Germany as well and, um, uh, you know, in the US, but I would say Canada is still very much behind. But what is interesting, what you were saying about, you know, COVID-19, um, so in Canada, we have something where if the company needs to shorten their work, it's called not shorten time, something like this, but it's actually called work sharing, where basically, um, you know, people who are doing a similar type of job agree together that they are willing to reduce their work hours so that somebody doesn't have to get laid off and they all as a, um, you know, community, so to speak, reduce their work. And by doing this, they are ultimately doing part of it 
on a job sharing basis where they, you know, exchange or train each other because there might be parts that are slightly different. And yeah, so it's been very interesting to see that while there is no real job sharing um, Canada much, work sharing on the other hand exists and has existed for quite a long time. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And like, I think for Australia, you know, one of the benefits of being a laggard in some of these areas as far as creative workplaces is that you can see what works well in other parts of the world and you can adopt it. So you know, it's not like we would be leading the charge on this. And if there is um, industries or employees who are like, well, I don't know that would work or that's not going to work for me. Yeah. If you can point to like Canada or, or England or Switzerland, say it's similar industries, and it works. Um, if you if you embed it properly in Australia, you know it, it can take off again. I think that is one of the advantages that we have is we kind of are so far behind. We can look at leading practice and pick and choose what we think works well, and and just do it here as well. So, like I, I just had to tell you one more example about what I was most fascinated about about Switzerland when I talked to um, Irenka and Nina. They told me that in Switzerland, two politicians were actually campaigning together across different um, languages. It was French and German, as well as different genders and different ages. So I was thinking, you know, how can you possibly beat that combination as a single person? So yeah, so I, I thought that was really interesting that it is yeah, even amazing. possible on a political basis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would love I would love to see us eventually get there that we're still at the point of if a, if a female politician brings her baby to the parliament, you know, some of the countries impress and some of the countries outraged. Yeah. So that's where we still are. Yeah. Well, so it was really fascinating talking with you. Now, um, where can our listeners find you, Rob? So in a couple of places. So I'm on Twitter, just with my name, at Rob Storick. Um, uh, on Instagram, I've got an account too. I just sort of share some of the research and share some of the, the sort of ups and downs of, of life with young kids. Um, that's with my book title. So that's at Man, at Man Raises Boy uh, and on LinkedIn too. So uh, LinkedIn, I think, is a good community for these sorts of discussions. I think a lot of people are on there talking about yeah. um, what the workplace looks like right now. So, yeah, I'm on there. LinkedIn too is Rob Storick in, in Sydney, Australia, and, and hopefully the book uh, cover in the, in the pictures will give it away. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Rob. Absolute pleasure, and I'm delighted we could talk. Thank you. Before we leave, a shout out to the upcoming excellent online panel discussion, including a special guest that Rob is co-hosting leading up to Australia's Father's Day. It is titled Father's Day 2020. Can a pandemic accelerate dad-friendly workplaces? It takes place on Thursday, September 3rd, from 12 to 1 p.m. AEST. Please look for more details on how to sign up in the show notes. Also, if you liked listening to the show and want to learn more about previous episodes or get in contact with us, please head over to our website, Emily's Path Consulting, which is emilyspath.ca. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media. 
so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye.